Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Trapper, Mike Palmer with you. A very special episode as we talk to Russell Glass, co-author of Voting with a Porpoise. We'll get into that momentarily. Want to check in with Mike. Mike, how you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm excited to talk about uh, marine mammals, uh, any opportunity to uh, talk children's literature, marine mammals, uh, and civics. Uh, you know I'm in, so uh, so yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm really uh, really excited that we were able to to get to get Russell as a guest. And uh, Russell joins us now. Russell, how are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing great, thanks. Like uh, like it was already said, excited to talk about uh, marine mammals and civics, as you can imagine. Can you give us a little bit of your background? Uh, just give our listeners an idea of where you're coming to this uh, children's book, Voting uh, with a, a Porpoise, is available on Amazon and where you can buy uh, children's books. Uh, and we'll talk into uh, the civics of it all and, and the purpose behind it. But your background a little bit for our listeners so we can uh, jump off from there. Yeah, uh, kind of a funny way to get to a children's book author, but uh, I'm a multiple time entrepreneur. I, I graduated uh, from Duke University and went right into technology a company called Trilogy Software, and it's a very entrepreneurial company down in Austin, Texas, have founded or been a part of, I guess, now five founding teams. And um, last company I sold uh, to LinkedIn after, after founding it and building it up um, over about six years or so, and ran the marketing solutions division of LinkedIn. Had a great time, went through the whole acquisition of Microsoft, uh, by Microsoft of LinkedIn. It was a ton of fun, great experience. Took a bunch of time off after that just to be dad. I have three small kids. And as part, during that process, you know, it was, it was sort of the, 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 the Trump election. I had concerns about the way the government was running. And I started to think about what I could do, what talents I had as, as small as they might be to, to try to change the culture around voting. And that's what led to a number of activities, including writing Voting with a Porpoise. So uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an inspirational uh, story on a number of fronts, uh, but uh, it does also seem like this is a trend uh, around um, authoring books in support of uh, sort of uh, not-for-profits or uh, causes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that too? Because like this is uh, this is really in support. You know, the the content itself is helping uh, parents uh, talk to their kids about the importance of voting and civics and some of these other things. But also, uh, the proceeds are are ultimately uh, in support of that cause as well. Yeah, no, that's right. So so the idea here wasn't to make any kind of profit. Um, you know, the thought was, hey, if, if we can make some money on this, that's a great additional way to support, you know, nonprofit voting related causes, right? How do, how do we, how do we increase the voting rate of the country? And, and um, the reason for the book, the reason for targeting children at this age, it, it, it's actually, it's kind of, there, there are multiple reasons for it. One is, when I looked at what was wrong with the country, I actually honed in on low voting rates as being a huge part of the problem we face. Because if you have, let's just you know, use a hypothetical. If you had 100% of people in the country voting, money in politics kind of goes away because money is basically, in effect, buying votes today. Um, you, know, you, you have a little bit of influence, but mostly it's just getting people to show up for your, your candidates. Um, two is all of a sudden, 
you have a democracy that truly works because the majority of people that vote for something will win. Today, a small fraction of the active population actually decides what's best for the rest of the country because our voting rates are so low. And so in thinking through all that, I, I had a number of strategies on how to drive voting rates up. One of them, I joined the board of Rock the Vote because I think they're doing a great job with youth voting and, and focusing on the millennial and, and under uh, voting population. Uh, but, but there's still a narrative problem. There's still a, people don't feel civically involved. Mm -hmm. And I felt like starting younger, giving some education to kids when they're three, four, five, six, seven years old, and getting them excited about, hey, why do we vote? Why, why is voting important as a society, right? How do we make good decisions as a society? If we start them younger and they're thinking that way, they're gonna be excited to vote when they're eligible. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what this is all about. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and also I, I imagine as, uh, as a serial entrepreneur, um, you've been able to sort of make things happen from, from zero to success. Um, how, how did that inform writing this book and how is writing a children's book similar or different, uh, from, uh, launching, uh, launching a small business or a big business? Yeah. Yeah. It, no, it, Great question. I think <laughs> in all candor, I think part of it is I have, I don't have that. It's impossible to do sort of gene. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of uh, suspending of disbelief, right? Uh, you have to kind of, you have to kind of plow through all of that. The odds are against you. Um, you have to plow through the, the, um, uh, the pessimism and you just keep going and you know and, and if you're if you're lucky if you, if you have some bounces that go your way to use a march madness uh uh analogy uh you know you can be very successful in changing the world in some way and and i think so so that's one is that as an entrepreneur you you just believe it can happen and the notion that we'll get one of these books in every single library and every single classroom in the country on the face of it is crazy but you start with a book <laughs> You know, you start with a concept and then you just keep doing things like podcasts and, uh, you know, maybe eventually you get there. Yeah, that, no, it's awesome. And, uh, and I definitely want, you know, we talk a lot, you know, we're a learning podcast. We talk a lot about uh, how people learn, how that's changing. Um, I, we also talk a ton about uh, the importance of narrative and good storytelling to uh, great teaching. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, the the narrative like the story itself uh and how you kind of you, you got there because uh because like like i said you know you had me at uh marine mammals but uh but i'd love to i'd love to hear uh, hear a little more around uh just a high level how you landed on this uh particular structure to kind of like address uh the topics you're you're interested in sure yeah you know the the, the notion of I, so i think you make a great point the notion of narrative it's actually the only thing that ever really does change culture. It, we are a we are a storytelling machine, and that's how for all of our evolution we uh, we learn. And and so telling stories, telling narratives, as companies like Coke know well, that's how you capture people emotionally, and that's how you change their sort of preferences and notions of what's good and bad and all that good stuff. So. 
the idea here was, all right, how do we tell a story that'll resonate with children about how society makes decisions? And we knew we didn't want to get it too complex. We knew that it had to be pretty straightforward. But, but if we could create a, the old you know, arc of stories where someone's facing a big problem, they you know, have uh, things that happen to them during that problem that creates suspense, they come together and figure out how to solve the problem, and at the end of the day, they win. Well, how is, how is voting the solution to that problem and, and creates this great you know, win? And actually, the idea was that we would use jungle animals originally. And mostly because I'm complete novice when it comes to writing children's books, Sean, you know, a co-author who has written a number of children's books, he's like, Marine mammals. Everybody loves marine mammals. <laughs> There's a ton of colors, you know, uh, they're fun, you know, let's do marine mammals. And so he kind of reworked that into a marine mammal story. And then finally, probably because I've got three kids under 10 and when I'm reading to them, I love rhymes. I, mm. I, I always reach for the rhyming books, the Dr. Seuss books, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, bear snores on is, is like my favorite book of all time. If you've never read it. And so I was like, I'm going to turn this into a rhyme. Mm. And, and that's that, that really brings you to a, a, a younger audience as well, because you can read a book to a two-year-old that doesn't really totally connect, but they love the rhymes. I know Dan's going to get in there, but uh, that immediately is taking me, you know, you drop, drop some beats below it. And uh, you you get the podcast booth going, and next thing you know, you're 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 spitting spitting fire. But uh, but, but I'll let Dan, Dan's got a question. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I I think uh, the turn towards uh, the sea life gave us voting with a porpoise, which I said before we started uh, recording. I struggle. I want to say porpoise every time, uh, which uh, is fun in and of itself. And as you went through the process of writing this book and, and getting it to the editors and then going to print and getting it out to in people's hands, did you ever stop and think of, well, this is a really weighty topic. We've been able to get down to this pretty you know, accessible story and uh, take a, a step back and realize you also, you have other topics in there as well. Uh, there may be some global warming uh, uh, talk in there. Uh, there's obviously uh, the porpoise and the dolphins working together across, you know, groups a little bit, uh, friendships and, and that. Like, did you ever take that moment to look at how you were able to take such a, a weighty topic and, and drill it down to be accessible to three, four and five year olds? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, at first, no. I didn't really think about that at all. I was just thinking about, you know, is, is, is this the right meter? And my wife hates near rhymes. Mm. So she was kind of like my editor that forced me into no near rhymes. Um, so you've got this great meter, you've got this great um, rhyming texture. And I didn't really, I, I, you know, I knew the story was important. Uh, I knew that it, it covered some topics, but I didn't think about it. And then somebody, some, I think a reviewer was kind of like, wow, there's a lot covered in this like, you know, 10 couplet or whatever it is, you know, uh, 10 quartet, whatever uh, story. You know, there's a lot here. There's a lot of meat here to talk about. And then as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I guess we just need kind of a lot of stuff in here that, you know, you can talk through with kids and um, then we decided to, to kind of write little lesson plans to help 
parents and teachers think about how to talk about this with children. And we've captured some of those things in the lesson plans. There's a lot there. There's a lot of meat. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm wondering uh, how much uh, how much research you you did, or how you're how how aware you are of how early uh, civics and citizenship uh, lesson planning begins, because uh, because I, I imagine in some ways you're filling a bit of a gap, uh, particularly if you're providing um, like the the lesson plans for educators. But is this something that that is this part of a broader movement? Are you are you because you know you're you're involved in other causes, rock the vote, et cetera? Um, is this an increasing uh, trend that you guys are a part of? Uh, you know, how much are you blazing the field, and how much is this uh, part of a, a bigger trend? Yeah, I think there are a lot of people thinking about this in the high school world. There's a number of organizations that have started to move into that world, including Rock the Vote, mm -hmm. actually building civics kind of courseware that. Uh, high schools can teach, which is hugely effective. Uh, Minnesota, which is one of the highest voting rate states in the country, has terrific curriculum around voting. And they just have a culture of voting there that starts with high schools use the real actual voting booths to vote for their own internal sort of political structures. So mm -hmm. president of the class and whatnot. So it starts really early there. And I think that's, that's just brilliant, right? It demystifies it for the high school students. I, we, and I haven't seen that much at this earlier formative age. Mm -hmm. uh, part of what gave me the, the idea to do it though, is my kids go to a, a play-based nursery school. And, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that play-based nursery schools, you know, lead to great ability to socialize and that leads to you know, success over time. But one of the things they do there is they have um, these little elections, they have these little votes. And, and so kids can vote on snack, you know, and, and they teach them about, okay, well, majority wins, right? And then I started thinking about my own children where, you know, at like age zero, they, they understand the concept of fairness immediately they come out of the womb and their older sister gets more strawberries than them. And this little three month old is like, uh, uh, you know, and they start freaking out because they have less strawberries. And so it at zero, you can teach kids about fairness and, mm -hmm. and, and voting is all about fairness. It's all about, it's all about kids. Um, or, or it's all about society. How do you decide, on an issue when you're millions and millions of people, right? That's it, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. It's uh, been many a time in my house with three daughters uh, myself where that's not fair echoes through the hallways oh. as the six-year-old's chasing the nine-year-old. Um, really, like literally like 15 minutes ago, I just went through an apple fairness issue. Um, and it, it doesn't stop. It just it keeps building to, you know, jewelry and clothing and, and as it goes on and on. Um, as you talked about building a curriculum around this, at least a small curriculum, what's the, the goal here? Is this every classroom, every library? Is it um, getting it in the hands of parents directly, teachers directly? What's sort of the broad scope of what you're trying to do with the book and the curriculum you've created? Yeah, uh, you, you know that it's it's every classroom, every library. Give teachers on on and around election times of year. It happens every year. It happens at different times of year, depending on the state you're in. Give them the ability to read a fun story to the kids and open up this this discussion topic in a way that even three year olds can absorb. Right, and I think that the the ages for this 
are probably three to nine. You know, I think 10, 11, 12 may start to feel some of this gets a little on the cornier side, but, but, you know, I think like even my 10 year old loves it and, and I've seen others. So I, I think that is probably the, the appropriate age range. And it just gives you a great way as an educator or as a parent to have these, have these conversations. And, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of background in technology. Uh, you know, we're on a, this is a digital format. This is a audio format. Have you thought about how uh, this type of content might translate uh, into digital formats? Because uh, another thing we've talked about a lot is the movement away from screens around education and the idea of, you know, reading to your kids and trying to encourage sort of traditional reading from a book as like almost like a new movement. So I definitely understand beginning with a children's book, uh, but do you have any thoughts about how some of this content might translate into, uh, into digital formats? So we, we did, we released it in both Kindle format as well as, um, you know, handheld or whatever we call books now. Right. Um, uh, and, and I really did that mostly because it reduces the expense of distribution. So, mm -hmm we can get it to more people and those who can't afford a, to buy a book, you know, they can, they can get it. I mean, if you have prime, you can get it for free on Kindle. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was, that was the notion around that. And, and the colors are so vibrant and bright. It actually, it, it turns into a digital format very nicely. Mm -hmm. I think that as, as a household that, you know, we have a couple of iPads for the kids that are like locked away right now because we felt like they were using them too much. Mm -hmm. I do think it's important that, you you pick up books and you flip the pages and you and and again the studies have shown that kids absorb more if you read to them from a book for whatever reason i don't think people totally understand why right now that is the case but flipping a book and and allowing them to um absorb whatever they decide to absorb it's actually an interesting experiment if you watch a kid read a book or, or you read a book to a kid watch their eyes uh, and you'll be surprised where their eyes are going. It's rarely where you'd think their eyes should be going. They're kind of all over the place. They're, you're reading to them, but they're, they're looking at, at a piece or a picture, or they're zoning in on something that is caught their attention. And I think that's part of it. It's this notion of exploration that they can do while you're reading to them that is a little, it's, it's less easy on a smaller screen. It's, it, they don't see quite the, the the depth, I don't know what it, but, but that's what it feels like to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, again, this book, if you, if you experience the book, there's so much going on from a picture standpoint. Again, this marine life thing, it, it, and it's mixed media. So you get this picture effect in the background, you get these wonderful, adorable creatures in the foreground, and they're doing all kinds of fun stuff. So kids can really kind of get absorbed in that. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the learning science concepts we talk a lot about on the show is uh, the picture superiority effect, uh, which is, you know, when you pair images with text or audio, uh, it increases the retention uh, by like 60%. So like, um, it's funny, we almost forget that when we start teaching uh, older folks, the the power of images. And then when you uh, you know, Dan and I were just we're talking about maybe doing a show on memes soon uh, because uh, memes uh, are are hot now because uh, the European Union's trying to crack down on them. Right. But um, but just like the power of reading in the subway, and all of a sudden there's this huge uh, spitting epidemic. <laughs> exactly, but like the um, 
what was it like thinking about authoring not just the story and the copy, but also working with an illustrator and actually doing that aspect of uh, of the design? I, I imagine it helps uh, really, you know, trigger the imagination and resonate with this audience. But um, but what was it like, you know, as a, as somebody working in the creative process, trying to understand the how visual kind of helps with uh, with the narrative? Yeah. So, so again, first children's book for me. So it was both enlightening as well as a ton of fun. And we're super lucky to our, our illustrator, a guy named Daniel Howarth, has worked with Sean in the past and is just supremely talented. So, you know, his ability to take this story and bring it to life. He starts with just wireframe. Well, I call them wireframes as a uh, as a tech guy. I don't know if that's actually what they're called, but but he starts with just sketches. Uh, but the, even those simple sketches, you can see him capturing emotion in the faces of these these animals, right? These dolphins and crabs, and and that to me uh, originally was like, oh wow, the amount that you can compress into, you know, it takes a whole bunch of language. In 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 this in a children's book, you actually have less language to work with, but it takes a whole bunch of language even then to get a concept across that he can capture with just like a flick of a pen mm. and, you know, an eyebrow being furrowed or a, you know, a, a half smile. So, so just super talented. And then he would, we would work with him on those sketches and kind of adjust things. And then he then used this mixed media concept, which I thought really brought this to life, this notion of photographic background for the ocean. And you see the light filtering through. And so it feels authentic even though it's a bunch of cartoon animals, right? Really, um, but but it feels real. It feels like there's immense amount of depth. I think is the right word. It, there's a lot of depth to it. Yeah, um, I think uh, you know Dan might Dan might have a couple more questions. Uh, first off, just uh, really excited that you're doing this type of work. Keep it up. Uh, keep uh, keep on distorting reality uh, by by uh, not believing the the, the pessimists. Um, just a sort of a fun question. Uh, what was the most interesting uh, pair of rhymed words uh, that made it into the book uh, for, from from your perspective? That is a great question. Um, there is a there is a there's a couplet in here that the I, I don't know if it's the most interesting, but the one that I thought was the most fun, just in terms of how the story uh, came together, and I'll. Uh, I'll pull it up here because I've got the book right in front of me. Sure. Um, uh, the, uh, let's see. And feel free to recite. I, I've, I've been known to uh, recite poetry on this podcast. So like our listeners are, you know, we've, we've broken them in. So, so, so do, do what you feel. I, I, I love that. Thank you. Uh, all right. So, Petey, why didn't you vote? You're one of us. He can't vote, said Finn. He's just a porpoise. So that that notion of, of getting porpoise, which is, a, you know, it's kind of a complicated word, right? Yeah. It's old, weird. It has no real, uh, you know, tie to any other words. It's so got, think, think, that in the story I thought was fun. That's amazing. I think it's even got a diphthong in it. I think the OI, uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to, we'll, we'll, we'll clean that up in post, but I'm pretty sure that. let me know. Yeah. 
Well, I, the question I have is, uh, do, do we get to hear from PD the Porpoise again? Is there a sequel with maybe a school of fish or, you know, a, a group of whales? What is that, a gam? Is that a gam of whales or maybe even a school of whales? Any, any future you know, plans for PD to ride again? Yeah, I, think, I actually think it all, it's still a pod of whales, I think. Um, okay. Um, we should double check that also when we're doing the diphthong research. Right. The, the um, yeah, I mean, the story was written with the notion that there would be others. And um, so I think our, our hope here is to stay focused on getting this one distributed. And if we can get, you know, enough out there, absolutely, we, we will do uh, more of them. And we actually have one guy reach out that says he wants to turn this into a, uh, an animated series if we, uh, if we get there. So that could be fun, too. Well, and, and you mentioned the collective noun being a pod, you know, this would lend itself to uh, a podcast. So, uh, so I just wanted to, you know, well, boom. There's got to be a joke in there somewhere. How do whales communicate around, across the world? <laughs> Through podcasts. There it is. Uh, so you can find that. Well, why don't you let us know here, Russell, where can people find this book and, and how can they get in the hands of children, teachers and parents alike? Yeah, easiest way uh, for people is Amazon.com. We also, for booksellers and um, distributors, we sell through Ingram. So super easy to get wholesale pricing through Ingram. And uh, yeah, always love to hear from uh, people, their comments on uh, bookswithaporpoise.com. There you go. Bookswithaporpoise.com. I made it through pronouncing porpoise correctly each time. I'm proud of myself for that fact. Russell Glass, co-author of Voting with a Porpoise. Thanks so much for the time. Find it on Amazon. Find it across the internet by going to bookswithaporpoise.com. Appreciate the time, Russell. Thank you so much. Uh, terrific to be here. And as always, find us on Twitter at Trending in Ed. You can find us at trendinginteducation.com, on Facebook at Trending in Ed. And uh, share this episode and all our episodes with a friend and share the book with a friend as well. Thanks so much for listening to Trending in Education. <laughs>